0: Hello, hello. I am Melanie Reef,
1: And I'm Jess Benoist young Thank you for listening to Best Line. Worst Line. Where we watch TV, movies, speeches, and skits, and each decide what we thought were the best and worst lines from each.
0: So Jess, let's talk a little bit about how we came up with this idea and maybe give a little bit of our backgrounds. We have known each other for, oh gosh, um, Uh, over 20 years, I would say.
1: 23 years.
0: 23 years. We grew up together in a suburb of Denver, Colorado, doing musical theater at the Children's Musical Theater Group Academy of Theater Arts, and have been friends ever since. We haven't lived in the same place since we were teenagers, right? Right. Right, but we've always said if we did, we would like be hang out all the time and just watch movies because we have very similar tastes and things, cut to twenty twenty when amidst the total awful of the pandemic, we figured out a way to make that possible.
1: Yes, and we had many, many movie nights together, um just over the internet, woohoo technology, um, and we found ourselves. Like talking about the movies, you know, analyzing them, sharing our kind of mini reviews, uh, whether they were good or bad. And we both do a lot of writing and, uh, screenwriting. And so we knew, A, we always wanted to have a podcast together and that we wanted it to be about movies, movies, musicals, TV. Um, and we just, weren't quite sure how to also combine that with talking about our passion, which is writing.
0: Jessica is a published novelist, and I am a hobbyist screenwriter who writes and edits in a tech company for a living.
1: And so we kind of had this idea that was a little bit of both. We get to talk about the scripts you know a little bit when we when we're analyzing these lines and we just get to have fun and talk about the movies on you know on the whole.
0: And really good window into our friendship because <laughs> I'm pretty sure these are just the conversations we would have anyway.
1: Yes yeah yeah most of these I think if we were doing this podcast or not like this is what we would say. Although
0: <laughs> like, I would I would say I would genuinely, genuinely never have watched one of the movies we watched. Uh,
1: so this week we have Nightmare Alley and House of Gucci. So we have one movie that has picked up quite a few Oscar nominations and one movie that is being, you know, sort of snubbed. like the, we say, that. The, we say that. all the... that. They think they're being snubbed. Let's say that. Um, so the the buzz is about the absence of Oscar nominations. And so that's kind of what made us choose those two movies. And then to round out our little Oscar theme, we watched Life is a Cabaret, episode 14 of the fifth season of Shits Creek, which uh shows all of the characters in Shits Creek. Doing Cabaret at their community theater. And Cabaret was a huge, huge, huge Oscar winner. Um, And, bit of trivia, the only movie to have received 13 nominations and not win Best Picture.
0: Should we get into it then? What's our first movie, Jess?
1: Our first movie is Nightmare Alley. Because bradley cooper doing noir you know i mean the the concept i think we chose this one just because the concept sounded really like in depth and really different and i gotta say that it delivered on that front you know it was very thematic very deep
0: should we give a little background on the movie just if people haven't seen it
1: sure i wasn't prepared for that but yeah (laughs) yeah So this has been kind of like a, a trendy thing a little bit, you know, the whole like circus setting over the past decade or whatever. Uh, it's not common, but it it is like kind of a this backdrop for for a lot of um, darker themes and intrigue and stuff. So so we have this young guy with a mysterious sort of past um, showing up at this carnival and really. Um, really like ingratiating himself on on a lot of the performers and into the whole lifestyle of it and the performance aspect of it and he really connects with these two um they're they're calling themselves psychics but the the term that they're they're using in the 1940s is a mentalism is that right yeah it was mentalism. mentalist yeah And so he kind of spends a while learning how they came up with their their original act, but they stopped the act uh, before joining the carnival for these various reasons that you learn about. And he decides to resurrect that act on his own farther down the line when he leaves the circus. And, well, as you can assume, it doesn't go (laughs) according to plan. Um, And you see the reasons why, you know, the um, Xena and Pete, the two psychics from the carnival, chose not to do that act. Uh, And it's definitely got, you know, not the Guillermo del Toro creatures that you may be typically used to from like Pan's Labyrinth and uh, Shape of Water and that type of thing. But definitely this just... Creepiness, yeah, the um, realism it was good, it was a good movie. Let's just get that out of the way. It was a very uh it was a very good movie. I enjoyed it, I was intrigued, I was hooked what What did you think
0: I was gonna say it was a very good movie. I historically am a wimp, um, so I think this was even my suggestion, so I'm not sure mm-hmm. what I was thinking. Um, I think I was just like intrigued because it had a cast that I was interested in. I think the plot. Oh God, yeah. I mean, it was. I mean, it's Bradley Cooper, Tony Collette, Kate Blanchett. Um, i miss Willem Dafoe,
1: Rooney Mara, Rooney Mara.
0: Um, it is an excellent, excellent cast. Yes. Um, and Guillermo del Toro is, I mean, notoriously a well-respected filmmaker and I think the setting intrigued me I like the 1940s I think the kind of noir aspect of it was what probably was what hooked me because I like noir I like mystery um I did make the mistake of watching this by myself at night so I don't recommend that but I do think the story and I think it was very very well done I enjoyed it Um, and I would recommend it, which is not necessarily true for absolutely like I would absolutely recommend it. Um, and it stuck with me. There's a lot of the themes that I would say really stuck with me from like how you use your power, how you, how people relate to people. And so much of this movie is more about psychology. I think as Jess
1: mentioned,
0: like, as you mentioned that the, um, the creatures in Guillermo del Toro aren't really like a part of it, so um, it's so much. I mean, the, the the creepy comes from people and human psychology and playing on that, which uh, I think is far creepier than creatures can be. Um, oh, for sure. So, mm-hmm. should we get into it then? What's your what What was your should we start with best line? What was the best line you thought in this movie?
1: Uh, okay, let's talk a little bit about our criteria for best yeah. line. Good point. Um, Here's because we've discussed this, you know, as we've been um, talking about, you know, how to really like format and do this. We've talked about, you know, I don't think that this is necessarily the case with these movies that we've chosen or this uh, episode that we've chosen, but it will be in the future. There are famous lines. A lot of movies have famous lines. And whether or not we think that the famous line is the best line or even a favorite line. Well, I have favorite lines in a lot of things, and I had favorite lines in this one. But did I think they were the best one? Because you can have a favorite line for a lot of reasons. It could just be funny. It could be uh, really dark, really dramatic. It could be the, it could be a certain word in it. Just you know, just a word that you like. It could be the delivery of it or the person saying it. Um. So what I think that I'm found that i'm looking for as i analyze this is something that almost tells you what the whole piece is about something that can sort of encapsulate the piece itself that's what i took it as too but still having like a very i want to say almost poetic like a like a not, not something that you would just say to people in normal conversation, right? That's obviously not going to be, be the best line or your favorite line because that's the kind of thing we hear all the time. So something that, that as it's being said, you're like, this has an, a profound amount of meaning. And I think that we didn't end up with any comedy movies No, um, we, we, we <laughs> this week. To to and we're um, both big comedy people so it'll be interesting to see uh you know then how that criteria switches when we do kind of go into more co- comedic or straight comedy films yeah um, think- because then is it going to be like well what's just the funniest line or what's the right. the the uh the funniest delivery or whatever um but i think i'll still be looking for that I- i'll still be looking for this line that like yeah, okay, now it also has to be hilariously funny, but is it, like, the best representation of the work on the whole? Uh, and I that think, might not hold. You know, you don't know. Yeah. I think
0: for me, similar, like, what sets up the movie um, or, like, encapsulates what the picture is. And I think I think for me, the criteria could change going into a comedy, and it could, like, be t- more towards favorite line or just, like, funniest line um, right. but might not have that whole profoundly impactful movie sense I think it's what sticks with me about what, whatever it is that sticks with me about the movie and what encapsulates that I think is that I think it is interesting for one of our selections today I had I had trouble coming up with the best line and so my criteria my criteria might change a little bit just depending on what our options are um, because I do think I had I conflated best line and favorite line a little bit
1: if for the movie that you're talking about for our other movie, it's the same for me. They're the same one.
0: Yeah. Um, and so I think. Like, and there was
1: only one. There
0: was literally only one. <laughs> I couldn't I find so, another one. You mentioned that. But and I'm <laughs> so interested to see what yours is because I was like watching the movie after you said that. And I was like, I don't know which one I don't she know. chose. Like, I mean, because there were a lot of lines. Well, we'll get to this in that movie, but like, yeah, there we were a lot of lines that I was like, I'm not sure which one she chose. So anyway, mm-hmm. um, Yeah, I think for definitely for our first movie, I definitely framed it much in like what set to me, what sets up the movie. I do have an honorable mention favorite line in the movie, but that they are not the same. So
1: there's that. So I I think my favorite uh, in Nightmare Alley, it was fairly early on and it was sort of in this in one of these introductory scenes where he's getting to know this, the carnival owner. The master played by William DeFoe. Will- William DeFoe. Defoe. Yeah. Um, and he says folks will pay good money just to make themselves feel better. And when he's talking about that, um, and this was an entirely like foreign concept to me. And this is a huge, like huge theme in this movie. And it, so were you familiar with the term geek?
0: before no. watching
1: primarily me either so <laughs> so this whole thing they kept saying geek and it's and i had to go look it up i'm like why are they saying this and this is a big thing so geek you know it's not geek squad like we say it now it's not the people coming to set up your sound system okay or like in, the
0: nerdum of like, right oh i'm such a like star wars geek or i mean i guess that's more nerd but i think they're used interchangeably in so much it, they are or very geek. much
1: yeah Yes. So not band geek, not geek squad. A geek in carnival terms in the early 20th century was someone who was essentially made to look like kind of a a beast of a man and starved and psychologically abused, basically, to the point that they would eat raw animals as a show in the carnival. Yeah, and they called it the Geek Show, and so they're lo- And when uh, Stanton Carlisle is the Bradley Cooper character, the main character of the movie, is learning about this Geek Show with Clem, the oh. owner of the carnival, and that's what he's there. They're watching this guy who's just like a hairy husk of a man, and they don't give him clothing, and he eats raw chicken alive it's it is messed up it's It's messed up (laughs) and and so that's sort of your introduction into this world it has a lot to do with with the um with this geek and the geek show and that's what he says and and i think that the geek show is the only thing they charge extra for i think i think or they charge a lot extra for it and it's the big thing it's like the it has its own tent and 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 so I just that really stuck with me because I think that's true. And I mean, what are we doing with a lot of our like reality TV and that kind of stuff? You know, yeah, you want to see things that make you feel like you're a better human than this other human that that's just part of human nature, that uh, superiority, those those judgments that you make very quickly to make yourself feel normal. Right. Right. And I think it, it's a big thing that we have to overcome, <laughs> so that we're not assholes to everyone, you know.
0: Absolutely, I think it's interesting that you chose the the geek part because clearly the geek is such a thematic, thematic and plot point of the movie. And like, I mean, spoiler alert, yeah, it's it very much foreshadows Stan's trajectory as he becomes a geek at the end.
1: Mm-hmm. And they, which I, which I had a feeling was coming. Yeah.
0: Well, and they foreshadow it really. I mean, and they talk so much about like how they find, uh, in one scene, Stan asks, like, how do you find anybody willing to geek?" And they, he's mm-hmm. like, he finds mm-hmm. somebody who's drunk, somebody who's like in an alley, just like homeless, drunk, completely like, you know,
1: was he, was he in a Hooverville in the end? Was that a Hooverville? Were those still around by the beginning of, of the war, or? I don't know. well. I mean, that would have been have a lot later.
0: Yeah. yeah. Again, fact check or not, because the forties because this starts in the forties, right? So the the war would have already been by the time that this starts. The war would have been ongoing. You know, right?
1: Yeah. Uh, well, the U.S. isn't involved in it, mm-hmm. but still Hoover until.
0: But Hoover was. I long think gone. it
1: starts in nineteen thirty-nine. Yeah. The movie? and then it and then they jump yeah oh, okay. and then they jump two years forward to 41 and then that's when they get when the u.s gets involved okay so it, I believe it
0: pretty much coincides with the war but i don't know if his i don't know if i like really understood his timeline with like how how quickly his downfall was
1: yeah because
0: it seems like I think was, it
1: was pretty quick
0: i think it was too um but of course at the end and i think i mean this wasn't my best line but um Stan's line at the end, where he says, um, "I was born for it."
1: I was born for it. It was mm-hmm. just like
0: heartbreaking, and you it was see, great. It was so. Yeah. I mean, you just see the like, and then of he has a
1: hysterical meltdown. He just breaks.
0: Oh, and it's just it's like breaks, you
1: it is, know, it's, and it's like well, and that's what it is. Is you know, I think at that moment he realizes he is a monster and there's nothing human left in him
0: right well and you see so much too of like i mean clearly he had he had um addiction issues he had rage mm-hmm. issues he had so many issues um and then at the end what was so interesting was so in one of the scenes where clem is answering how you, to get people to speak it's like well it's just temporary and like you know it comes full mm-hmm. circle with that speech um yes. that the yeah. newer carnival Barker gives Um, And the other thing about the geek that I was going to say was when they're raided by the police, I mean, they like clearly, as you mentioned, the the geek show was it's torture. It's I mean, it is abuse of another human being. Uh And like they were like, well, hide the geek, hide the geek, because like that's what they're coming to shut down. Like the other stuff is like whatever. Um, But it's the geek show that they're trying to shut down. And like, mm-hmm. and so, yeah, I think that's such a like pivotal part of the movie and how, how we treat others in humanity. My favorite line or not my favorite line, what I thought the best line was, and I, because I think it sums I think it sets up how Stan kind of takes, so Stan sees this, as you mentioned, like the couple, Zena and Pete, their act and sees that he can make something with that, take the act and make his own money, make his own living. And so I, the line that I chose as I think the best line was Pete's line when he's first explaining the act to Stan was Everyone's, everybody's had some trouble, somebody they hated, shadow from their past. And that stood out to me because it really sets up mm-hmm. Stan's trajectory. Like if you can read somebody, everybody has something, everybody has some baggage and it's just a matter of basically exploiting it. Right, and Pete, like Pete and Zena were very careful to be like, we don't exploit it. Like, we don't do the spook show. We don't do we don't do the exploitative stuff.
1: Right, and I also have two two other lines from that whole section of the movie that uh, I really thought were really solid. And then and Zena says, "Never do a spook show. No good can come from a spook show." Yeah, and I at that moment I was like, well. Stan's gonna run off and do a spook show. <laughs> That's what this movie's about. But then you're like, well, what you know, what this is what all that psychics do nowadays mm-hmm. is spook show. That's all it is. So what exactly is gonna go wrong? And then he, I mean, obviously, then you're hooked and you're like, What goes wrong? Well, everything goes everything wrong. Everything goes wrong. <laughs> and Pete has another great line, um, another fantastic line that was almost my favorite line. And he just says people are desperate to tell you who they are.
0: Yes, yes, yes. That was that same speech. And I thought it was so good. And it's so interesting because Mm -hmm. it's so, it's so true. I mean, I have, I've definitely, I mean, I, I love tarot. I think tarot is so fun. I have talked to people who do tarot in a way of just like, not, not the spook show elements, but like, here's, here are like, it's almost therapeutic in a way. It's a way of being seen. And that's exactly what Pete says. Like people just want to be seen. And right. um, it's so interesting because people like people can use that exploit, like as exploitation, or they could use that to help. And like Zena sees herself using it to help. Mm-hmm. And like she even warns like when she comes later and does like Stan's card. Yeah. Because, like,
1: he says- well, and Stan is like, how is that any different? Right. Because yes, you know, the- he could, it could be used as part of a spook show. It could be used as like this mentalist thing and she's like no we're just gonna ask the question yeah you know you know how to use this just and I think a lot of people like that do use it now that's kind of what it is it's just like you getting out of your own head and it's more like a prompt absolutely you have like a question that you want to be able to think more openly or broadly or clearly about then you have these cards that are like kind of guiding you to a different train of thought than your brain would normally allow you
0: absolutely and she even says like in the movie they talk about this too like how you know tarot's not fixed it's not something that's like it's not destined to be this way mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. this is what like you have the power to change the cards basically like this is what they're saying but it's not like destined and like when mm-hmm. she when she does the reading for him and has the hanged man that's the upside down hanged man she it's, it's a warning like hey you're on a bad path but you can change it it's not like this is predetermined and I think that's like a very big like misunderstanding uh, yeah. of tarot but anyway this is not a tarot podcast but I <laughs> um, I really uh, I really just liked that scene because I think it shows like his that whole scene but that line in general really stick stuck with me yeah. because it's like his um, understanding of human nature, and then it parlays so well into the Kate Blanchett character because she's doing the same thing I mean, that's the, that's what's fascinating about, right, about right. the setup is like it's two sides of the same coin here. You have the legitimized psychologist one, psychi- psychiatrist, who mm-hmm. like it's legitimate. And like, absolutely, I think doctors who work in mental health do amazing things, um, most of them. And then you have this, <laughs> then you have this
1: like, not this one,
0: <laughs> su- something like under the table CD, but it's two sides of the same coin using what people tell yeah. you in people's past and the wanting to be seen in ways to either help or manipulate them and that is what both Stan and then ugh, Kate Blanchett's character's name is eluding me at right now but Lilith Lilith yes it is what both of them are doing to each other
1: and right, right so that to everyone and each other yeah. and and the fact that he doesn't uh, you know it, it's it's a pretty pretty typical tale of uh hubris on Stan's part right that he knows and he tells her that we're doing the same thing. You're just a doctor and I'm not,
0: Mm -hmm. but
1: he never thinks because she's gorgeous and he's infatuated with her. He's not going to do it to her, but he never stops to think, will she do it to me? Right. And you know, he,
0: another line that I wrote down was I was thinking you and I can make a pretty big dent in this town. Like the first time he goes to talk to her, it's like, we can team up and con people together. And like he, exactly the hubris that he has to be like, Oh, she's not going to get me. I'm too smart for that like it's so it's so funny and actually my honorable mention line is about like their relationship too it's um Rooney Mara's character's line I bet it's that frozen face bitch you were so impressed with I was like oh that's not like that's (laughs) That's not the best line in the movie but I like just thought it was like I just loved the delivery I thought it was so well done it made me laugh and this was not like a ha-ha movie at all um no, <laughs> no, like, and so that moment of levity in that line, I was just like, "Oh, yes, that." So, what do you think? The I had trouble coming up with worst line in this movie because I thought it was just like so so well done.
1: Yeah, it was a very well written movie. Everything seemed to carry a lot of significance and had a a purpose in being said, right? And it felt natural to the character. Um, I'm saying that because the other movie. Didn't feel that way whatsoever. Nope. Um, So I'm going to praise this movie in this way. And then maybe just by the absence of this praise, (laughs) make some inferences about the other one. Uh, But there was this line that I felt was so corny and out of place. And it's when, when Lilith and Stan sort of, they're, Their conflict comes to a head and we find out that Lilith has been um, manipulating him the entire time. Uh Um, And he tries to strangle her and she says, come on, Stan, you think you can take my breath away? And I just thought that was so cheesy and so out of character for her and just so out of place in that very intense scene. It just didn't sit right with me. And I didn't, I I just didn't like the delivery. I didn't like the cheesiness of it. I just didn't get it. I, that was like the one line that I was like, well, this doesn't feel right at all. Yeah. I- <laughs> and I think, I think that there were a lot of times, there were a lot of points in this, uh, in this movie where they did really, I don't want to say they went over the top, but they definitely went right up to the line and towed it with, um, With the noir 40s lingo type vibe. Yeah. Right? There were some lines where the the 40s lingo uh, would just jump right out at you. And um, it was almost jarring because the movie was so somber.
0: Yeah. I think that's what I think was my worst line was kind of like the 40s lingo. And it just felt very like... So the the line that I chose was "Dames like you always have mommy issues," um, mm-hmm. because it was just a which is rude. Yeah, rude. <laughs> um, and, and like, I mean, so worst line from a script standpoint. Um, like, obviously, she's they're read it. He's re- trying to read her and all that. But I mean, a it just was. It felt very aggressive in a way that he wasn't being in other parts of that scene. It felt the dames like you felt very like. I, I, I agree with like the 1940s lingo, lingo there. And the other thing was like, we don't learn about that later. We learn about other things that she is suffering right. go through. And so the mommy issues, it's like, well, that didn't have any payoff, you know? Right. And maybe it didn't have to, but we didn't have any payoff there.
1: And there was just something very sophisticated. Like, I felt like they were trying to set up these different worlds almost. Because when he gets to her office for the first time, it's like, oh, wow, like, yeah. boom, this is noir. This is the 40s. This is, like, art deco. It's decadent. It's opulent. Like, it was beautiful. I'd want that office. Oh, it God, it was amazing. And so there was just, and and that obviously that set of her office was, like, a piece. That was meant to be seen. And there was just something about, like, yeah, his very, when, when, either of them would kind of go into this cheesy 1940s type lingo when they're in this very sophisticated very noir office and this very these very tense uh thick conversations Uh it just felt off and and i could say that completely understanding that like that's how noir films were you know it was it was dark 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 and then somebody says a corny line and if I'm watching a, a noir film, like, from a different era, I maybe it wouldn't bother me as much. But, like, for some reason in this movie, every time they did that, I was caught off guard. Yeah. So, I, I don't know. Sometimes it fit just fine. And I think when he was in the carnival atmosphere, it worked a lot more. Especially when the the carnival workers themselves were using, like, really... Like carnival lingo and forties lingo. Yeah, absolutely. Then it's just like okay, they have their own lingo, but in other, you know, and in none of the other like upscale people in the movie use any sort of that's a really interesting heavy point. lingo. That's a really interesting. So point. it was, vi- I think, yeah, actually- it was very shocking to me when she did it because she's supposed to be this like upscale educated person in the movie.
0: Well, and that's really interesting to think about too, because if she's supposed to be this upscale educated person, which she is, but she's also running a con too. Like True. I mean, like she's running a long con, but it just seems legitimate, you know? Yeah, it's it's that's a really interesting observation. I really I was reading something about the like the set design and the difference in the, you know, opulent, upper crushed Chicago stuff versus the carny, dark, dim. grungy gritty worlds and it was it was really i mean the care that they took to make this movie was really fascinating and
1: i think that there were a lot of times that they almost flipped that dynamic on its head like i texted you while i was watching this movie and i was only about 40 minutes in and besides like the geek stuff which is obviously gross you know like horrifying I thought that the carnival part was was really um, sort of charming. Yeah, lovely, you know? lovely. It was very charming. Yeah, I didn't. And I expected to be a little more freaked out by the carnival, um, which you know sides the geek. And then and then I wrote, uh, "What the fuck are these pickled babies?" Like, okay, so the the babies were freaky. The geek was freaky, but they weren't like a huge part yeah i agree. You felt that they had heft and that they were gonna you know be a theme but like really the carnival was was fun and interesting and and, and very charming the and, people and were very charming and i wasn't scared at all and then he walked into Lilith's office and i was like okay this whole movie just th- this flipped. movie just changed it flipped this movie is now noir as hell and Kate blanchett is the femme fatale so creepy in this movie she is i wrote mm, diabolical all caps. i love creepy kate blanchett like
0: (laughs) i loved her
1: i think please give me more creepy kate blanchett please
0: to your point about the carnival not being as creepy as you thought it was like i kept expecting you know they did that the act with uh, rooney mara and um like the electrocution and when he was like oh here like let's do a chair and the electrocutioner and all these things and Totally and thought something I, bad was going to happen. Absolutely. I was convinced that she was going to be like dead.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Absolutely convinced that that was where the movie was taking the turn. Did not mm-hmm. expect it to be in the like upper crust of society. And I'm glad that I and glad that it played me like that because it, it was so much less predictable that way. And like, right. And then it's circling back to the carnival and go and like you feel like the carnival when you come back to it later at the end of the movie, there's, there's, I mean, yes, the geek stuff in the beginning was not charming at all, at all, no. like terrifying, but there's th- some of that original kind of, like you don't have the Zenas and Pete, you don't have the people who are, you know, you yeah, don't have the familiar family,
1: ground anymore. And
0: you don't have like the, the the carnival workers who are the family. I mean, like in the scene where like yeah. Runi Mara invites them all to Chicago, there's a jovialness there. That mm-hmm. is not in other aspects of the movie, so I I think that's a really right. good point too. I I mean I really liked this. I mean, as yes, I said I was creeped out by it and did not sleep much Monday night, but um, I really liked it. Like it was hard for me to choose a best line because I thought there was so much weight to so much of how the script was written.
1: Right. So this movie was nominated for best picture, best cinematography, best costume design. Uh, and best production design for this year's Academy Awards. Surprise, like, sort of surprise, no acting. I, I'm surprised Bradley
0: Cooper didn't get an acting nod because I thought, I mean, I think I remember reading about categories. I think it's a pretty
1: crowded year. It's, it is crowded. Yeah, but for sure. That ending. And that's what it is. Oh, the ending. I think the hysteria mean, was
0: just heartbreaking. It was so good. Uh-huh. It was so good.
1: And I am surprised not to see Kate Blanchett just because like what, com- whatever she does, like, but is she nominated for something else this year?
0: I don't know. Maybe, um, or maybe Probably. she, maybe she, <laughs> I mean, she could have split nods too with herself. Like, true. Um, and as you said to me yesterday, give Tony Colette her damn Oscar already. Like, come on. Maybe
1: not for this one, but but, but when I went to go- when I was watching it and 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 I go, Oh, I haven't seen Tony Collette in a couple of years. She was only nominated for Sixth Cents. That's what? her only nomination. No. Yeah. I am outraged. Completely. And uh I mean she's won other awards. She's been nominated for a for a lot of other acting awards, Golden Globes mainly. But uh, yeah, I was shocked. Yeah, that uh, because Tony Collette is like top tier people. Mm-hmm. She not only needs to be nominated for more things, but we've got to get her an Oscar.
0: Yes, yes, please. Yeah, I'm glad we watched this. This was this was a good one.
1: Yes, should very we, glad.
0: Should we move on to our like intermission, if you will, our little television show interlude? Yeah. All right. Between Oscar movies. So as mentioned before, we chose one of our favorite television shows of recent years that prominently features an Oscar-winning movie musical from the 1970s, and I believe Tony-winning musical from the 1970s, the Candor Neb classic Cabaret. And yes, of course, we were talking about Schiff's Creek, particularly the episode Life is a Cabaret, which is the last episode of season five of Schitt's Creek. I love this show. I love this show.
1: It's fantastic. Absolutely fantastic. It just
0: doesn't get old. And I watched this yesterday after I finished the second movie we're going to be talking about. And it was just such a nice palate cleanser. It was such a needed palate cleanser. Oh, yeah. I did have trouble choosing lines that I liked.
1: That you liked? Like, there were too many? There were too many. And like, a worse line. I I knew... When I when I we chose this episode, I knew that this was an episode that was just a font of Moira knowledge and wisdom Uh and nurturing. Like I just remembered, like that's what stuck out to me from this this episode was like, oh, this is where Moira just like becomes kind of the the theater mom for everyone in town. Yeah. Well, um, but more f- specifically for, for Stevie. Stevie. Yeah. And it's- and that's really all it was. I mean, that's literally what it was. I, I have about five lines from Moira. Oh, mine. <laughs> I- I just think- her like mentoring. Yeah. Uh, one where she's having a meltdown because, come on, her meltdowns are fantastic. They're
0: great. I think your, your line might be similar to my line then. Okay. The best line. Because I chose... Uh, you stand your solid ground, refusing to be anyone yep. but
1: you. <laughs> yes. And I, and yes. And I felt that that was such, it, it's about to show. Like, it's literally about to show. Yeah. That show was so, so different. So offbeat. So quirky. And, and took so long just running Under the current, you know, of mainstream to really like find its legs and find enough people. And then when it gets there, it's incredible. Yeah. But it didn't it didn't change. It never changed. True. And that's hard for a lot of shows. And I think you almost have to be this sort of unfound treasure for a little while so that you can find your voice before you have a bunch of fans basically telling you like how you're doing it wrong and how they'd rather see it. And the fact that a lot of people didn't really find this show in the mainstream until about season five season or season six, the final season, I think just really let them be who they wanted to be the whole time, you know, not distracted, not criticized. And, and it, it's so much better for it. It's perfect.
0: Absolutely. And I think the other thing that the show does and all of the characters do that, you stand your solid ground refusing to be anyone but you. Obviously, in this moment, Moira is talking to Stevie and, I mean, she gets in some barbs about, like, you know, the town and I never thought I'd say anybody in this town was cool. You're cool. And I never thought I'd say that. Um, But, I mean, Stevie in the midst of, you know, you have the, the roses come in who are so very not that town and she, like, is very herself the whole time. And mm-hmm. figuring out what that means. But like even if as she's trying to like the other line I wrote down is like, I wish I wasn't hot watching it happen all from behind the desk feels like everyone's growing up around me. Mm-hmm. That, that's such a relatable line. And she grows though too. Like even though she's like standing her like she's who she is through and through, she grows tremendously through the show too. And she's becomes more emotional yeah. and uh open. And it's interesting because like Also, the other thing, all the characters kind of refuse to be anybody but them, but they all grow like Alexis. I mean, Alexis grows a ton and she but she's still Alexis. And David is still like they're all uniquely themselves. And Moira certainly is. I mean, Moira Rose is a world class character. And yes, and they're all just (laughs) accepted for it. Like nobody like nobody is made to feel other than because they're just who they are. And that is one of the things about the show that I love because it so easily could have been Roland could have been a character that is just like, oh God, this guy again. And like he has some moments of like, okay, Roland, but like he could have been so small minded. He could have been so off putting. He could have been all of those things and he's not. And that's what I love about this show. It could have been so easy to go for the easy joke and making like punching down to some of these characters and they don't people are people
1: and i love that right and it's a good examination too of something that i feel is a relevant concept is that this idea that you can grow without changing yourself you know this idea of growth versus change because i think at our core we don't want to drastically change we want to be accepted like you said we want to be accepted for how we want to be for who Uh we feel like we are but that you can grow into maybe the more positive parts of yourself you can grow into better um, better relationships with other people without changing the core of yourself um, and that you don't have to change or conform to be exactly like the people where you live or the people that you want to be friends with or the people you want to be in relationships with to, you know, to fit in and to be accepted. Absolutely. That they need to accept you without you changing, but you should be doing the growth so that you can best connect with those people, you know? And and that's a big thing for small towns. I mean, that's a big thing. Yeah, I mean, it plays against the
0: stereotype of small towns, too.
1: Right. Absolutely. It, it's it's refreshing. <laughs> I think that there are places where that's certainly true, but I think that there are still a lot of places where that's not true at all. And the expectation is, okay, you live here and you're going to be like the people who live here, you know? Yeah. And that's just, nobody wants to do that. no. But nobody wants to feel, you know. Nobody wants to feel like they have to change, but nobody wants to feel like they're going to be ostracized because they're different. Right? That's fucking stupid. Absolutely. So yes, I think that that's, you know, and and they're doing cabaret in this town. Like that's amazing. That's, I mean, it is a very <laughs> that's fantastic. It is a very,
0: I mean, out there show, a very risque yeah. show for a small for a small. I mean we would joke when I was teaching high school, we would joke my theater director and I would joke so much about how we were going to do cabaret because we were in a pretty conservative oh city. Oh my gosh. It was our favorite, yeah. my favorite joke. Whenever the kids would ask like what show we were going to do the next year, my drama teacher would say Spider-Man turn off the dark. And I would say cabaret <laughs> or hair which both would have been great. Um, but I remember
1: <laughs> hair. <laughs> yeah.
0: I was, I mean, you know, Colorado Springs is pretty conservative and very oh, yeah. heavy-, heavy military town, but I would joke my favorite answer was cabaret. And like, Especially because there was one year we were doing Anne Frank as the musical or as the play. And so like Anne right. Frank followed by Cabaret would have been quite the year.
1: Oh, um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Um, but I told I told my boss this, who like is a huge musical person, very big art person. And I told her that we were going to do our, I, my favorite joke was to say Cabaret. And she's like, oh, my God, I would love it if you guys did Cabaret. And I looked at her and I was like, in what world? In what world? Yeah, recovering here. <laughs> like, no, I can't recover <laughs> the fact that like they do it in the in this town, and like that's the show that they choose. And then like the inclusion right. of maybe this time is just such a like uh, iconic iconic song from the movie mm-hmm. that is. I mean, it, that pays plays back to maybe this time I'll win. And you know, in that speech, she's like uh, the speech that Moira gives to Stevie. She's like. Um, use it. Use that feeling of like everybody's growing up around me. And she was like, "Are you talking about Stevie or Sally?" And it's like Sally, but like that raw emotion is what that
1: song mm-hmm. is.
0: And it's just—it was so. I remember watching that episode for the first time, and I've seen it countless times now. And but like that first time I saw that episode, and I was like, "Our TV show is doing this. A TV show is full on doing Vilkelman. And yeah, like hey, yeah. full on doing Vilkelman. and doing maybe this time in a way that doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel campy. It feels real. It feels important to the story and so well executed.
1: Yeah. It is a- an incredible episode of an incredible show.
0: Absolutely. With that, I had a really hard time finding a worst line. I think, okay. So I, the reason I chose my quote unquote worst line, there was so many that I just loved. I chose, um, You told me to block out everyone today. So I left my phone at home, which I realized was a really big mistake, which
1: I didn't like that. The
0: only reason I chose that line was because it just felt too expository.
1: Like, it just felt way too expository. It was too much. We didn't need to say it. Like, I mean, she could have just said, you told me to block out everyone. Yeah, we didn't. Or, you know, yeah, it just. Yeah.
0: So it was, it, was too much. It, was, it was too much. It was too much ex- exposition. But like th- this is nitpicking because I have like a full page of
1: lines. It I was read. so. Here's mine, and so apparently I just was not having it with corniness. I was not having the cheese up in, in this. You weren't joint. folding like, in like the cheese. I if you will. could not fold in the cheese. I could not <laughs> because. I, oh, so this is towards the very end of the episode. And I was like, I don't have a worse line here. I just really don't. And then Alexis says, Everyone, yeah, it's time for Ted to Galapagos now. (laughs) And I go, No, 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 Alexis. I almost wrote that one down. Ew, ew, Alexis, I, I, oh. I hated it. I really did. I really hated it. The only reason... I just just thought it was out of character, too. Like, why did she need to do that? She didn't need to do
0: that. Okay, the only reason I didn't write that line down was because it's, like, it was her honoring him because he's the corny, cheesy one. And that was, like, it was, like, oh, she's, like, he's leaving. She's trying... she Like, it was very much, like, she was trying to be, like, oh, I love you, Ted. And so I was, like, okay, I see the point of that line. But, yeah, it was so cheesy.
1: (laughs) It's adorable. I totally understood, like, Yes, he's cheesy. He probably said that to her and she decided to repeat it or she made it up to impress him or whatever. But like also at the same time, let's not stop the party just to say goodbye to Ted, who wasn't even in the show. (laughs) Like everybody knows where he's going. He can say his goodbyes on his own. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It was uh, it was totally fine. I just had I had no tolerance for the cheesiness, apparently, on the day that I watched or no, or the weekend, because I did this on Thursday, and then I did a movie on Friday and a movie on Saturday. So just from Thursday to Saturday, just not here for the cheese. Not here for the I cheese. Couldn't, I couldn't do it. Couldn't do it. Well,
0: <laughs> that is a great point to transition to our third and final piece for this hour, which I think is full-on cheese. Jessica...
1: Completely unintentionally. <laughs> completely
0: unintentionally, I think. Um Jessica made me watch House of Gucci, and <laughs> I am Jessica
1: not. made Jessica, Jessica watch made House of <laughs> Gucci too. Um,
0: <laughs> I like. I. I mean, I was like honest. I mean, I will be honest. I was intrigued by the movie. I like Lady Gaga both as a performer as an actress. I think she is excellent. And I mean, I will say that for this movie, the one thing that I do think was. I mean, okay, there are two things that I thought were great in the movie. Number one, the clothes and the styling. like The clothes, set, design, styling, I loved all of that because it was opulent and gorgeous. And I love clothes, so that was fun.
1: That is the one Oscar it is Yeah, of course it is. Nominated for. Actually, it's not, uh, I don't think it's costumes. It's hair and makeup
0: i the, the hair and makeup was great
1: the makeup makes sense because
0: i it took me to i had to look up the cast yeah. i was like that is jared leto that's jared leto
1: that guy no. yeah
0: like i had and, so and his
1: hair yeah. is incredible yeah
0: um <laughs> i i was shocked that that was jared leto
1: but i will
0: say that lady gaga i thought was masterful like i mean i i i really do think she probably should have been nominated for an Oscar. I think she was like the accent. the car- I thought she was masterful. And that was about all I can say that I thought was masterful about this movie. <laughs> it was two and a half hours long, which was far too long, far too oh, long yeah. for this movie. And just like, I mean, and the, the interesting too, thing too. So like we chose this movie and I realized like, I didn't real, I didn't know much of the story about. And so like, as I was watching the movie, I just kind of like Googled about Gucci And I mean, I've always, I have expensive taste and I've always been a fan of Gucci products because I think they're beautiful. But I always thought of it as like Tom Ford for Gucci and like never knew the story of the house and everything. And so Mm -hmm. I was Googling and like reading the story of like, oh my God, she hired a hitman to like, like based on a psychic. So psychics come back again. Boilers.
1: Um, (laughs) I mean... psychics again tarot cards cards. we have a theme going on here we really did um (laughs) totally not knowing I totally had no idea no we
0: did not plan that one but we really did but like given that given that that was the story I think that there's so much more that could have been done to make it interesting
1: yeah and I can't remember if I texted this to you or not I feel like so this is from a book right Mm-hmm. This was adapted from a book, and I just feel like there there has to be a, a massive amount of material oh. that could have been in this two and a half hour movie that just didn't make What's it in fair? there, but wasn't really replaced with anything. It felt very bland for the fact that there was a lot of political backstabbing
0: you yeah know, and intrigue that part,
1: type shit and going on, but it didn't translate rushed. because the pace, yeah, it felt like all of those things were rushed and like kind of encapsulated in these little like twenty minute bursts of story like and then there would be these story. long stretches of very slowly paced, and I don't know if that pacing was like to amp up some sort of emotional intensity or like the 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 tension between people, but it didn't work. It didn't work at all. It just felt no, very, very it hollow, didn't. very slow. And and then it would be like, boom, 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 like plot, 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 plot thing. And then nothing for like 30 to 40 minutes. And just of like, you know, me watching somebody do character work basically <laughs> is kind of what it was. And I was like, okay, right. this is the pace you wanted to go with. Then we needed to have made this like a six hour mini series and you pull in every freaking detail of their life and because it covered a lot of time and you just don't even realize that until they're at the end saying like oh it's 1996 and I'm like what what didn't we start this this in the 70s when I
0: (laughs) <laughs> well and I like when it was like in the 80s I was yeah. like wait what like it just right. like felt like it moved fast but not like it just it skipped so much. like the Aldo's when it birthday. went from Aldo's birthday to it's Aldo's year. birthday I was like well I guess we've went I guess we've uh-huh. went a year in about 60 seconds and it was just like I think I think there were some good performances like I think Jeremy I, I mean Jeremy Irons I think is good in everything he does I think Lady Gaga as I said was masterful I did not care for jared it Leto was in this so movie.
1: it was so much it was too much
0: so i went on a, a deep dive rabbit hole last night after i finished the movie just about gucci and the family because like fascinating like this woman who like comes in and is you know hires a hitman to kill like basically right. tears the family apart like she orchestrated all of it tears like she she is the reason that nobody in gucci has ownership in And i think that gucci part of my anymore. problem with that was like, like
1: I never was totally 100% clear on her motivation. Yeah. yeah they, and, and they I mean, didn't I mean, make it. You know, okay, I don't need movies to hold my hand. I don't need, you know, yeah, I don't need somebody saying, oh, I left my phone at home. And like That was a mistake. No, I don't need you to do that for me. But. I would have liked a little more indication of like what her actual desire was because I could tell she wanted something at first. I I thought it was money. And then I was like, no, she likes fashion. She wants to be involved in the fashion, but then we never really show her being involved in the fashion aspect of it. So then all I can think of is that she wants power, but then when he leaves her. Then all she cares about is him. So I, I well, okay, just
0: so here's here's And then what
1: and then her me. end goal, like, you know, her her what she ultimately does, like murder him, all she gets is her house back. There's no power to be gained from that. She's not getting back into the house. She's not getting back into the company. So like, I, you know, she she could just be a very so here's... reactionary person. I get that. Right. But like I think it would have been nice for the movie to have some sort of touchstone of like what patricia wanted then we can see well in the end she just went kind of right. nuts and that would have had more meaning too like so here's where my deep dive
0: was helpful i was reading all of these things about you know the family and a the family did not have a favorable review of this movie which makes sense and like like they say that the movie had like a lot of machismo and like you know, male chauvinism that just wasn't fair. Yeah. And I mean, I actually thought like, you could see in the movie, like, oh no, she's the puppeteer pulling the strings and like putting people together. I mean, there was a machismo, but like some of the infighting that like, they were like, we are family who loved each other. And you can even see that with him when he was like, but they're my family. And she's like, well, so am I. Like, that was one of the things that was like, you know, he was, Maurizio was really trying to be like, no, they're my family. Like, I can't do that to my family. I mean, at first he was trying to do that. And he was like, but so am I. Um, and then after the, like, there was some things that the family thought that she orchestrated the murder because it was gonna, she got alimony from him. Like when Uh the, when the divorce happened, she got like $1.4 million a year or something like that in alimony. And so she, what it was still money. Like there was still a money and a lifestyle that she had cultivated. and wasn't going to get rid of, but he was going to marry, uh, paola Frankie, and if that happened her alimony would have been cut in half
1: okay so so there was you a you should not have had to do no. that right like but- that should have that's one line that's one line and right. Ma- and Mauriz- uh, Maurizio could have just said it like when we get married
0: and it wasn't i'll stop
1: clear. paying that bitch so much money <laughs> like what
0: well, and it wasn't even clear to me that <laughs> that's like, such, such an easy thing yeah it wasn't even clear to me that like when he was like we're sending i'm sending you back to switzerland back to italy to milan like it wasn't even clear to me then it was like that he was leaving her like that wasn't clear.
1: i thought at first i thought he just wanted her away because he was gonna have yeah meetings about business that's all i thought and then and then when she like Totally freaked out. I'm like, oh, okay, no wait, he's breaking up with her. <laughs> okay, <Yeah. laughs> that, but that it went over my head for for most of that scene. Yeah, there was just a lot that they yeah. like. I don't need my handheld, but I don't want to be doing the mm-hmm. work. You like you did. I did. The work, I spent like, you know an
0: hour and a half doing that work last night.
1: I didn't do that work. I tried to do a little bit of it, you know, just piecing together what I was seeing, but it was like there. the script was, it was just. It was, Not all there.
0: What was your best line? Because you've told me, like, you're like, I think we'll have the same line because I just laughed so hard at it. What was your best line in the movie?
1: Never confuse shit with chocolate. They may look the same, but the taste, very different. Trust me. I know. Never confuse shit with Chocolato. They may look the same, but the taste, very different. And here is where I lost, just lost it. The way he delivers, trust me, I know, is perfect. It is perfect. The line itself is, is good. And, and let me tell you, and I think I told you this, I had, just, I had just fucking had it with this character. I was enraged at how Jared Leto was playing this character. The, the vocal yeah. inflections, the weird, just the weird things he was doing, like it's just so overacting. And they had just had a big scene of him just being kind of, well, there were multiple scenes of him just being over the top. And then he says this and he's very mellowed down and it's very, it's very, it has this touch of wisdom to it. But then he like goes and in the same line just ruins it by saying he's eaten shit before. (laughs) He's tasted crap. He's tasted poop. And, and that is very uh, in line with the character. (laughs) But uh, I thought it was really, I thought it was a... (laughs) very much represented the film totally unintentionally. And here is what the lesson of that line is. Is this movie is saying it's chocolate. It's saying it's really, really good Italian chocolate that you have with espresso and a cigarette. And it's got a big, big fucking director and it's got this massive cast of Nominated and winning actors and actresses, huge, like the biggest names, and mm-hmm. it's crap it is not just because you look like this big, yeah prestige yeah. drama film doesn't necessarily make you that, and I am mad that I had to taste the crap to realize it wasn't chocolate, you know. <laughs> And I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and so, and I was watching this movie and I was like, and you said Lady Gaga, Lady Gaga just put like pulls and drags this movie, you know, like, like it's a bag of bricks because it kind of is. And I mean, she really does everything she can, but I don't think it's enough. And I really was watching this movie. I did not come into this movie with a bad attitude. I came in with curiosity um, we chose this movie because it's been like the fact that it's been snubbed across all acting categories and and best director Ridley Scott has been a big thing. It's been a big thing in the entertainment news, and I was genuinely curious. And the only thing that I had looked up prior to watching this movie was that the accents were bad. I didn't think they were terrible. I thought
0: Adam Driver. Uh, was I think
1: that was Adam Driver just wasn't doing it very much. He wasn't doing a lot. It, yeah, accent, oh, absolutely. He wasn't doing much with his accent and uh, He just wasn't doing much, and I didn't think as much as I love Jeremy Irons. I don't think he was doing yeah. much of an accident. He accent. He was doing Jeremy Irons, so he sounded a little British. Um, so that's all that I had looked up, and and I, but I was still like, okay, but these are all incredible actors incredible actors some what happened the accents couldn't be that bad no they weren't that bad they were not given they just weren't given enough material and what you can see with Jared Leto is that he's taking this character and the little bit of material that it has and he is just going over the top of it because he's trying to yank Something out of like almost nothing. It's so interesting because the line that you chose, like
0: to our earlier earlier conversation about um like how you're choosing a best line, like you say it encapsulates the movie, but it's an unintentional encapsulation. Like it wasn't the best line in the movie, but to you it stood out because it encapsulated the movie. Like so, I was trying to look at my best line because like what? Okay, so I chose the Desole and Patrizia conversation where she asks, like, what's his role? Like, what are you to Gucci? And he goes, I'm a conservationist. Gucci is a rare animal. It must be protected. I love that. And she goes, from who? And he goes, from from whoever threatens it. And I thought that was the movie right there. Like, that clearly, yeah. like, it was a game of, like, I'm protecting this. So there were a few lines that I was like, what sets up the theme of the movie? Which, like, it changed throughout the movie for me. Um, but that one really stuck with me because it was, like, Oh yeah, and 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 you know, at the end when he becomes CEO of Gucci America, and he was a
1: great character He, too. Was, he
0: was probably my favorite character in the movie. When Adam Driver was like, "She was right about you," like you, but he was he was he was loyal to the brand. He was loyal to the six. He right. he never changed. He was loyal to the, the success of the company, and that was consistent throughout. And so that line, "I'm a conservationist. Gucci's a rare animal. It must be protected," like that sets up. What his role was and how the how it ultimately ended for him,
1: you know, and for the company. Let me talk to you about this and get your uh, opinion on it. When we're talking about the accents. Mm-hmm. When people, when the movie is set in a foreign country, but it's an American movie, and the actors are speaking in the accent of the foreign country. I just always assume, here's my assumption, is that I'm supposed to believe that they are actually speaking the language of the country that they live in and they're not speaking English, but they're just speaking English for me because I'm an American. Huh, I've never thought about that before. Because, because why would they be speaking English? They're Italian. Right. Right? Right. And so is, there are some exceptions to it where there's like, Immediately, a bunch of Americans involved, right. or you know, a bunch of English-speaking people. If it's a movie where they're where like we're in Paris, and a bunch of people are speaking in French accents, but like the main characters are Americans interacting with those people, then I assume they're speaking english mm-hmm. but when when everyone is an Italian living in Italy, there are no Americans around, I assume. They're speaking Italian, but the actors are just speaking an accented English for me because it's an American movie. Yeah, that makes sense. I've never thought about that before, but that does make sense. And so that was my assumption. (laughs) This whole movie was, okay, well, they're Italian. They would be speaking Italian. They have no reason to be speaking English. But then they would speak Italian. There would be like two lines in Italian. And I'm like, okay, what? Now this is ruining it for me. I'm supposed to believe that these people, everything else they've said, they were speaking English for no good reason. No good reason. Why would they be speaking English? That's a very good point. Especially the older guys, the, the, the dads. Yeah, no. Why would they be speaking they English? They wouldn't be. You're completely now, correct. When they come to New York. And then that makes yes, sense. Yeah, they would speak English. But I don't know. So I don't know. That's weird. It's a thing that I've noticed in a few movies, and that one just really, I thought they should have not included the little Italian bits. That makes sense. It just really like pulled me out of it for some reason. Yeah,
0: because it seems inauthentic. I mean, there was so much that seems inauthentic in this. Uh, right. But, <laughs> I mean, yeah, that is a very, very fair point. I did have another honorable mention line, but this was improvised for what I learned. And it was also not a, like, best line in the movie, but, like, probably, I mean, and it's the famous line, the one that got into the trailers and everything, But where she does um, the sign of the cross with father, son, and house of Gucci.
1: Oh, yes. That was great.
0: Improvised it. Ah, that was all Lady Gaga. funny. That was all Lady Gaga. And that was,
1: like, what made the trailers and everything. So, Paolo comes with his designs. hmm Oh, for Rodolfo? To Rodolfo. Yes, this is one of
0: my lines, too. Okay, Yeah.
1: And he says, okay, so I'm finding the first part online here. I didn't write it down. because It's a a monologue. It's a monologue. Um, He says, true talent is often unaware of its own brilliance. Uh It must be cherished and protected. Whereas hacks, they run around shouting their delicious ideas, begging to be recognized, blind to their own mediocrity. And then he says, this is
0: the part that I wrote down. This, my dear nephew, is a triumph of mediocrity. And you haven't (laughs) seen the unimaginable. You and I have found one thing. Your father and I agree on your utter incompetence. But the yes, absolutely, yes,
1: a triumph of mediocrity. I wrote that line and, and this was another one okay. that I was like, okay, this is the movie. This yeah. is the movie again. This actually is a quote, completely unintentionally, about this film as a piece of work. Not, not that any of the people involved have come out and and been vocal about being snubbed but the fans of these actors and uh are really being quite vocal mm-hmm. about how wonderful this movie is. Uh when really it's just a triumph of mediocrity. It's just not, you know, it's not awful. It's a very well done movie. It's not bad. It's not, you know, poorly made. Uh it just falls short of being something that is great. Yeah. Um and i think that that's something that a lot of movies can fall into this whole idea of like we've got the perfect cast we've got the perfect director now we just sit back and and make the make the money well having these these elements and these people involved doesn't automatically mean it's going to be some fantastic movie right <laughs> It's interesting to me because it should have been really something quite special with the with all of those names involved, and, and the it just story. didn't feel special There's at all. There's
0: so much story, that's right? There is, there
1: is a story there. There is it's not like nothing no. happened. It just felt like nothing. Ha- it just felt like nothing happened. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know, and that's that's I guess no, that's not any individual person's fault. It's just how it came together. And uh, it's it's interesting. It is Um, the the other part I really loved.
0: Um, and this is my music nerd. I I like the sound. I like the soundtrack or the scoring because I think the way they use a lot of classical music. My music nerd here is when they do um, when they like raid Paolo's uh, fashion show and his wife is singing the Queen of the Night aria. In yeah, what I loved about that was that Aria is all about manipulation. I mean, so the Queen of the Night Mm. is. Um, so there were like some really smart elements of the movie, like the Queen of the Night is right. all she's this like dark in, in her aria. She's trying to convince um, her daughter, Kamina, that her father is like evil and going to use her when really it's the other way around. Like the Queen of the Night is the evil one. And this aria is basically singing that to her. And it's like a very, very famous aria. And so to have the like manipulation and backstabbing underscored by the Queen of the Night, Aria I really liked. And then when um, later in the movie, when Adam Driver is flee or Mauricio is fleeing, um, they're raiding the house for the forged signature stuff, and he's fleeing to Switzerland. The um, Barbara of Seville overture, which is like a mm-hmm. very like it's a very um, common. I think it's Barbara of Seville. Wow, that, we we should check that part before we put this in because if that's not wrong, I'm going to be really embarrassed. Whatever they used, was like, oh, this is so fitting. And they, they used a lot of, like, big, well-known. They had at one-point later, I think it was right after Tom Ford signed on, they used, like, a very sped-up version of Beethoven's Fifth Symphony um, and kind of, like, sped up and modernized music and kind of more electrified. And it was just like – so the music, I thought, was a really interesting way of storytelling – the script just didn't do it.
1: Right. Right. Um, I agree. And and we, we, you and I have both talked a little bit too about Save the Cat. Yeah. And for those of you who aren't familiar Save the Cat is a pretty pretty prominent uh screenwriters bible almost. Um and the, the entire concept of Save the Cat actually is from an Al Pacino bit. <laughs> and the whole idea is that the main character That the audience at least needs to know who your main protagonist is and have a reason to want them to succeed. Right. So there's a movie and he's a bad cop, but in the very beginning of the movie, he stops what he's doing and saves a kitten from a tree. So even if this guy is like morally gray or just morally bankrupt, right, we still know. Oh, this is the guy I'm supposed to root for. And he could do all of this terrible crap. But we feel like, oh, we watched him save the kitten from the tree. So we want the good part of him that saved the kitten from the tree to prevail. We still know this is the guy I'm rooting for. That's it. I'm rooting for this guy Uh for this reason. And the reason is... In, in the case of that movie, because he saved the cat. So every protagonist has to have this save the cat moment where we connect with them and we want them to succeed. There is nobody in this movie, I gave one single fuck about succeeding on that level. I didn't root for any of them. They were all terrible. <laughs> they were all morally bankrupt and hard to to read and to see what they even wanted to the point that at one point I was like, okay, Paolo's my favorite character, even though he's annoying the crap out of me because at least I know what he wants and his motives are relatively yeah. pure, right? He's not good at it, but he wants to be a designer Whoa. and he wants to be involved. He wants, but he never does, His family. but he never does anything. To, like, make me be, like, that's my guy. In fact, he goes around doing the opposite things to that. Things that make me not want to root for him. So nobody in this movie ever jumps out and is like, I'm the person who's carrying the protagonist (laughs) banner for this movie. And Maurizio sort of does in the beginning and... And
0: and the end, but not in the middle. uh,
1: Right. In the beginning, we're supposed to believe that he's the moral one, that he's got values and we're going to follow his values as he is forced and manipulated to abandon them. And then boom, as soon as we get to the point where it's like, I think you're doing the things that you're doing because you're done being robbed of your values and manipulated by your wife, he fucking turns into an asshole too. And it's like, (laughs) what am I watching There was none of that. There was just no there was there was nothing to tell the audience what you're watching, what you're supposed to be watching, what you're supposed to feel. Exactly. And and that, I'm not saying that you need that, but that's what makes people connect and and feel like a movie was worth watching there could still be plenty of great aspects about it but if you're missing these types of elements it is tangible to the viewers very much so
0: exactly and I'm almost to your point of like not knowing who to root for I thought like at the beginning when um when uh Rodolfo was telling uh, Maurizio like oh she's just gonna steal your money not knowing the history because at that point I did not know that Patrizia later hired a hitman to murder Maurizio um but I was like oh you're I mean you know this like wide-eyed Elizabeth Taylor-esque girl like that's who you're gonna be rooting for you want her to succeed and like become you know all of this and that's yeah. very not true um but like when Rodolfo was like she's gonna get her hooks in you I was like oh she's not going to like because that, like I mean I thought it was less foreshadowing and more like he was being announced. right, But that is, it was clearly more foreshadowing. To, to your point, I, I agree. There wasn't really anyone to for. I think I think in that way, my favorite character ended up being DeSole because he was the most consistent. Right. And I mean, not that characters need to be consistent, but like, I don't think we saw enough character development from Maurizio to like understand that he, like to understand when he went from being manipulated to, by Patrizia to like being cutthroat for the business. We didn't see enough of that. Character development and then to have him be written bought out of the business because he couldn't make the like we had been told a few times that he wasn't a good businessman, and yet we didn't see it, and so it felt very abrupt when they were like, "Hi, we're buying you out of Gucci yeah. you know yeah, and so i like I could have rooted for him, but we didn't we didn't see enough of that character development like I just didn't think there was much character there, and I don't know it was it was very long and confusing. I don't know. was there were so many parts of it that I was like, I I would have cut this right. down by a lot. Um should we talk about since we we're, since we're already ragging on the movie? Talk about we, the worst line? Talk about
1: how, <laughs> I um, don't think we've done worst yes. line yet. No, we haven't. Really just about anything that was said in for like the first 20 minutes. Um, <laughs> the whole their whole court meeting and courtship was some of the most oh, I hate awkward, wooden unrealistic dialogue no i wrote this is not how people talk this is not how people nobody talks like this at one point he says i can only stay out till midnight cinderella or i turn or she says it's only midnight cinderella and he says i'll turn into a frog and i wrote what the fuck is this movie (laughs) it's so bad bad, and it was a lot like that and then and i think we both we both talked about this line we said we weren't going to talk about lines uh, before we filmed, but we did Wait, talk okay. about this line. And when they very first meet, he says something about comparing her to Elizabeth Taylor. And she says, I'm way more fun. And I just about yelled at the TV, uh, fuck you. Oh, no, okay. you're not. <laughs> <laughs> I Absolutely. don't really know much about oh. you. But come on, until you've had six husbands uh, and played Cleopatra. I don't think you're more fun than Elizabeth Taylor. Um, <laughs> I, I
0: don't think. I don't think you're more fun than I don't think you're more Most fun people. than I stopped writing lines <laughs> yeah, exactly. that I that I did not like. Um, I think I think the one that got me was like I mean that whole scene was just very oh, I think it just oh, like felt it was forced. like
1: fifteen minutes of it too.
0: So that those lines I thought could have been mm-hmm. tighter, mm-hmm. maybe. Yeah, I think the I don't know if I have a worst line necessarily because I just thought it that that whole section I just thought was so Course. um and then i think the one that i really like was it's too expensive but i can try It's just I, weird
1: weird i don't there's so much awkwardness in this movie
0: yeah or um actually i think i think my official worst line because i didn't actually <laughs> choose one so poor preparation <laughs> on my part but um i think i think i would go with when he is trying to uh and this is like not worst line because i just thought it was cheesy or whatever i think this was like i just don't think it did anything to the plot I think it just kind of fell flat was when he's defending that he wants to marry uh Patrizia to Rodolfo When Maurizio says, I love what she is. What I is she? Like, but what is she? I think that's, I think that's why I chose it was because it was like, but what does that mean? Like, it doesn't mean anything. Like I love how she makes me feel. I love all. we he didn't people. let. What is he, she? We haven't. Yeah. Seen, he didn't let
1: Rodolfo finish.
0: We haven't seen Because her he said. Yeah, we haven't defined her as what she is, so we don't know what he loves about her, Because what I figured
1: Rodolfo was going to say is, she is a gold digger.
0: Well, he already said that. And then he was about to say something
1: else, and, and then Maurizio cut him off and said, I love what she is. And it's like, well, you love that she's a gold digger, or you're just cutting him off and saying, whatever she is, you love her. But yes, I very uh-huh. much feel like I was robbed of some some extra explanation on Maurizio's part of what exactly right, what? does he think she is that he loves right. about her I mean, because I, all I don't know scenes. anything about her at this point other than she is very awkward when she wants to get a man.
0: <laughs> well, we feel or or very determined. Yeah, I it mean, was I it was too much. We see all those scenes of them court the courtship, and it's like oh he brings out fun in her he makes her playful or he makes she makes him playful and like that I get like I totally get that and I was like totally on their side for the beginning there because I was like oh I see that like playfulness and all that but it's also like we don't see enough of like his background to know like I mean I guess you kind of do when he goes to that man like you see that he's grown up in this mansion but that's the first time like I don't know I would have liked more like know how he feels why wasn't he part of the business
1: like he clearly had reservations Mm -hmm. about being involved in it that and they go through this period where they're not involved they're not rich he's working for her dad's company and he's totally fine with that in the beginning he's totally fine with like being poor and happy and in love and she Mm -hmm. seems like she sort of is too and so that yeah I would have liked to have leaned into like that a little more like his character. We know yeah. that she's with him cuz his last name is Gucci. We know that yeah. she has some ulterior motives and we see her just immediately jump on Aldo when he reaches out to Maurizio, but we see that Maurizio Actually. is hesitant to be involved in his family. Why though? Why he's nearly a man right. in his 30s something had to have happened he's got this sort yeah. of ennui from the moment that we meet him why and we don't get any of that and i think if we could have gotten some exactly. of that then i might have stuck with him through his his you know midlife billionaire bullshit crisis like then i might have been like trying to root for him a little more if I knew more about who he was in the beginning, but it made no sense without any of that. Just didn't make any sense. But the whole, that whole interaction with Rodolfo was one of my favorite parts of the whole movie because grilling this, this just cracked me up. I thought this was hilarious. It's not a good line. I don't even think it's my favorite line, but I just loved it. If we're talking about like line delivery, Jeremy Irons is my man. <laughs> he's a he's a yep. star. He's my man Irons. forever. And he's grilling about the dad's business. Um, and he's Brown Oh yeah, yeah, like yeah. Brown They're transportation. Truck drivers. They're truck divers. And he says something about like, well, you know, Maurizio's like, Is this, this, this a profitable company? And he's like, How many trucks? And he doesn't even let Maurizio respond. And he just goes, Mafia! <laughs> I know.
0: I was just like that. It was just
1: like so. Um, I, I, I was like,
0: I wanted to know how many trucks because I was like, maybe yeah. it's like two. Like, it, like I mean, and that would be funny.
1: Oh, also, like- I didn't realize that having having a trucking business in in Italy immediately meant that you were with the mafia. I didn't. But sure. I'm going to make that jump with him. Okay. All right. I'm here because you. You're. He's being very aggressive with this i just love that i thought just shouting mafia in the middle of a conversation
0: i might start adopting that
1: i think i might do that too
0: great awesome um also like what the fuck was that sexy that looked Mm. so painful it just did not look like no sexy or fun or anything i mean maybe that's actually like what sex looks like cool but like also i was just is like it, is that, that how we did... look <laughs> i don't know i hope not but i was also like is that like was that a necessary element of the movie i didn't think it was right
1: okay and and it was another thing i was like okay i mean they're gonna get married is it like am i watching this because she's gonna get pregnant and that's what's gonna right. like spur but on the marriage Pregnant nope. so much later
0: nope
1: <laughs> not yeah, saying it's... that like that that she had to get pregnant or anything like but that that's right. what I was like, I'm being made to watch this scene. I don't really want to watch. I had no desire
0: to watch that scene. It was because it was very no.
1: there has to be a purpose plot-wise. And maybe yes. I just need to get out of that sort of thinking. Like not everything has to have a purpose to the plot, but I think if you're gonna have a pretty graphic, awkward sex scene. Maybe there should be a purpose for it. Yeah, I agree. You know?
0: Anyway, I think we've
1: I think I've exhausted all I can say about uh, this movie. I could probably say more, but it would just be more of me mean. It would just be me being mean yes. <laughs> about Exactly. This
0: movie. Um I mean, I will say I think Lady Gaga is incredibly talented.
1: I love her. And They're all I- talented people. I don't think anybody did a I don't think anybody They were doing their best. Yeah, I just don't think the material was was great. Right, right. Nobody did a bad job. It was just, it didn't land. It didn't land at all, unfortunately. I I will say this to the Academy. You made a
0: good choice. You did. You did. Good job, Academy. (laughs) Well, I think that's our, those are our. That's it. Any any wrap-up thoughts today?
1: No. (laughs) I enjoy the Oscars if you watch um and let us know your thoughts on these movies. Please join us next episode when we dive into two comedy mysteries, Clue and Knives Out. If you had as much fun listening as we had watching the movies, choosing our lines and recording this podcast, please give us a follow, subscribe on Apple podcasts, Google podcasts, and Instagram. Just look for best line, worst line. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we'll see you next time.